Listener Production. Kath Ebbs is an accidental influencer. They were scouted on Instagram when they were just 17 and since then have dominated the social media scene. Kath is a queer artist and actor and they grew up on the internet like many of us, but their relationship with social media has changed throughout the years. In this chat with Kath, they explain the importance of pronouns, how we can make the film industry more inclusive and the impact social media has had on their body image. My name is Helen Smith. I'm the producer of The Weekend Briefing and I'll be bringing you this chat this week. Up next, I'll bring you The Weekend List with Antoinette Latouf, where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat or listen to. But first, here is my interview with Kath Ebbs. Kath Ebbs, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Now, I wanted to start about talking about pronouns. Mm. So... Why are they important? Why are they important? I mean, they're important for every everyone. They're just like a marker of identity, like different to like labels. We give pronouns to like a lot of things, but I guess, yeah, it's it's people, when people go like, uh, I guess for me as a NB person and a, as a queer person, and I guess in some realms an advocate accidentally, I'm an accidental advocate, mm. I always say. Um, I find it really interesting, an interesting question to answer because it's like one that people ask a lot, like why are pronouns important? I'm like, they're not necessarily important. They just are. They just exist. And to some people, they're more important than others because they've had to consciously think about them. But we all use them. They're important to everyone. It's how we refer to uh, people. And um, some people have different ones than the ones that they were assigned with at birth. And that is hot. Mm, No, I agree. Yeah. When, like, talking and meeting new people, I always think it's good to ask people's pronouns. Yeah. Because, you know, it's just polite. Yeah. Um, How do you, like, if someone is, like, unsure about, oh, my God, do I just ask someone their pronouns? Like, Mm. it is, it is, like, you can just ask. It's a really interesting thing, too, because, like, I don't want to, I'm going to oversimplify it for one mm. second and say you literally just ask. It's actually super polite, just like you'd ask someone's name. That's why I like to think about it. But I also want to acknowledge that it can feel uncomfortable. And as someone who talks about that a lot and does simplify it, and I guess, again, is in some regards an advocate, I don't always do it. I mean, I didn't ask you your pronouns today. So um, it's not to say that, like, you know, I'm perfect and we should all just walk around doing it and it's super easy and it's super mm. comfortable because it's as someone who is NB, it's not even necessarily um, a constant in my vocabulary and social interactions. But it's important that we start to practice it more regularly and the way I like to think of it is like if I can comfortably be like hey like what's your name or what's your name again if I've forgotten Mm. um and that's socially acceptable then we can create asking what people's pronouns we can create a culture where it is the same because it is the same and I think little incremental ways to do that is like um stating your pronouns uh if you're doing like a bio put them in there and signing off emails with your pronouns Introducing yourself sometimes, especially in, I'm more used to it in queer spaces than in like um, hetero spaces or just society because I mean, society is heteronormative <laughs> um, by being like, oh, nice to meet you, I'm Catholic, my pronouns are they, them. So if they, it, it is possible. If the environment is fostered, it's, it becomes very normal. So to answer your question simply, it's not rude. Ask. 
but I do want to acknowledge that it can feel kind of like uncomfortable and little ways that you can work up to it or society can work up to it being just as normal as asking your name is by, yeah, signing off on your pronouns, stating them yourself, making it normal in your work culture to understand what everyone's is. Things like pronoun badges in workplaces are really cool. Um, way to normalize that chat um yeah that kind of reminded me I feel like everyone was kind of in the insta bios putting their pronouns yeah and which I love and you started your whole career through social media yeah whoopsies (laughs) we talked about this in the corridor yeah (laughs) Yeah. so through yeah social media I know you got scouted from on instagram yeah how has your relationship with social media changed from when you first started oh my God. to now? Like, <laughs> big question. A big question. I mean, it probably similar to everyone else's, really, um, whether you're, you, it's your work or not. Um, it's been such an interesting journey. We were, we were literally talking about this before. Like, I feel like I'm in a privileged position as well in a way that, like, a part of my community, which I always like, like we said, you were like, oh, I knew you, I followed you from way back when. And I meet people all the time. A part of me is like, why? Why are you still following me? Like, I'm I'm a completely different person. And I guess like a similar feedback is like, yeah, but like, I feel like we all kind of like grew up together. And that's what it feels like for me. I feel like I've kind of grown up on the internet, which Mm. is like kind of terrifying, but kind of beautiful in a way of like, I have these people that are like with me on that, but I don't always get that human to human connection. So it can sometimes feel very weird, but yeah, my relationship to social media compared is like, I mean, now it's a job and it wasn't. Like I, I built an audience accidentally online from being part of um, like a group that would make memes. Um, so there was like a group of us. So I felt this thing that we were doing together and it was like fun and it was silly and I was just like being silly with my friends and then people liked it and they liked me and I was like, what? And I was like 18 and now it's like a job. And that's cool in some regards because like, oh, we're like you get to make money like doing what you love or like being yourself in a way and I'm like yeah slay but also very scary and also a lot of pressure and I'm like alone in it now because like Mm. I'm not making memes I'm not part of that group it's just like me and it can feel very like overwhelming and there's like an industry now too which is weird which is also beautiful because I feel supported by people that have the same job as me but I sometimes I feel kind of overwhelmed with it and there's been times where I'm like, I don't know, like at the moment, like I feel very like disconnected from my online, I guess, business or presence or community, all of the above in one, mm. because I don't feel very good at the moment. So I don't know how to like connect to people online when I'm not feeling connected to myself. I don't know, like a part of my job now that it's become my job and not just a fun, silly little hobby, my job in a way is begging, well, it's, it shouldn't be, but it feels like sometimes, like begging people to like me and being like, please like me, please think I'm interesting, please engage with me telling my silly little story and being vulnerable and like that can be really taxing over time. Yeah, I was I was going to ask this because I'm a journalist and news producer I'm in social media the news cycle all the time and it's it's overwhelming it's yeah. it's a lot sometimes mm. but it's part of the job you mm. need to stay up to date you need to know what's happening in the world similar with like you know if you're a content creator or a creator an influencer you're on these platforms a lot you mentioned that that it can be overwhelming how do you navigate that I'm not very good at it. Uh, I actually had this conversation literally before I came here with a really good friend of mine, Alex. Um, 
She runs the Pleasure Centre, which is a page on Instagram. She's a sex therapist, but she also is a therapist, so she posts, like, really great mental mm. health stuff. She's a, that's a good resource. I'll chuck that out there. Um, but we were talking about this, um, and she said to me, and I think I am actually quite good at this, like, always coming back to, like, the five things that, like, you know, keep you grounded, like things like hygiene, sleep, movement, connection with, like, friends, people, the way I deal with the overwhelm on just like a everyday level is always making sure that I like do things, even if I really don't want to, or it's like impossible mm. that day, just making sure the house is relatively clean and making sure I move my body for at least half an hour and drink enough water. Yeah. So that's what I do like day to day, but I, I'm not, I'm not that good at it, to be honest. It overwhelms me all the time. And I can be one of those creatives that is like incredibly avoidant. And um, instead of leaning into, like, uncomfortability or working on, like, well, if people don't like it, too bad, and I'm going to keep doing what I love anyway because it has meaning to me. And it's something that I'm really thinking about at the moment is, like, how do I sustain this career and feel relatively, because it's always going to be, like, stressful, overwhelming times, mm. but, like, relatively okay. Yeah, and not seeking mm. validation on whether people are engaging with my posts because when you've been doing it for so long it does become that it's really hard to separate it because they're like, people don't like me. Like if this isn't doing well, people don't like me as a person. Yeah, totally. Um, Because you are almost the brand. Yeah. It's you. Yeah, and the things that I care about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to come onto that overwhelming and how we deal with it. And even with people who have grown up with on social media, it's really, there's now so many studies that show that it it affects our mental health. It it does like overwhelmingly. And it's also recently been linked to eating disorders. And in a recent study, it actually found that since TikTok, the rise of TikTok, the rise has increased like so much. You're really open about like how you love your body, showing love for your body. And as you just mentioned, like moving your body for your mental health as well. How has your relationship with your body and social media changed over the years, I guess, as you kind of matured and grew up? And like, how has Mm. that kind of changed? Because I feel like body image on social media is huge. Yeah, it's really interesting. I know, and I will get to that in a minute, Mm. but I will say I had a really severe eating disorder from the age of like 17, 16, um, I mean, it's something I still deal with today, but like I've had it at bay probably for the past like four years. Um, I've been in recovery there for like six. Mm. And um, I found interestingly, I mean, it was a choice. I had to make the intention to change my algorithm and cull things and mute things, um, which I still do today. I found social media actually quite, in some regards, a healing space to change the well, because it's like just the bad thing of it, but the good thing is like you can in ways like this create an echo chamber where you think this is how the world is. Mm -hmm. Um, Your own bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And I started following, yeah, like people that were giving me positive messages and even at the time if I didn't believe it or I still had those Mm. really intense judgmental thoughts on someone's body or like body positivity, I just was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just keeping it there. Even if like it's just like acknowledge the judgmental thought, acknowledge your own, you know, things um yeah and it really helped me kind of get out of that that mindset and seeing bodies of like normal size and yeah of all different sizes and blah 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 blah. it just changed the way that I thought that I had to be and before I knew it I was at a better 
uh, place even in like my goalposts because mm. of the things that I was like consuming. And that's why also I'm very big on being open and vulnerable. It's like something for ages I didn't want to because also I felt this thing. It's so interesting you say you love your body and it's like when you say that I go, I don't, some days I mm. love my body. But I, it's it's a journey. Like I don't and I still have really bad like tendency sometimes. And if I'm really stressed, I definitely will do some self-destructive things in order to try and cope. Um, the reason why I do talk about that stuff is because it helped me so much genuinely like change the way that I thought about my body. And even on TikTok, I'm just so algorithm aware. Like I'm really big on like making sure your algorithm and the people you follow are conducive to your values and the way you want to live your life and the way that you want to think about things and also um, people that can also challenge you maybe too on your beliefs or unconscious bias. We live in an era of social media and it's not going anywhere, although I think it has its problems. I think it is highly, highly addictive and designed to be so and it's really hard to get out of like that vacuum sometimes. Unfortunately, I don't think, I don't want to be like pessimistic because it's not my attitude, but it's not going anywhere. (laughs) Um, And I don't necessarily want it to in some regards, um, but it's not. So I think it's important to more so instead become self-aware and put boundaries in for yourself to be able to feel better when you are on there. I agree. I think even with your algorithm, you can really kind of not trick the system, but like tailor it to more positive things or what you want to see. Or if you like see something and you just click that button and go, I don't like this or don't show me this. Yeah, I get it. I'm like every every month I go, <laughs> don't want to see these for 30 days. Yeah. I don't want to be like shocked. No. Also, I don't want to be like true. What if I see like my ex pops up or something? I don't want to see like, that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not no. interested. <laughs> I only will, I will tell my body what I want to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's so many amazing... I really was around again for the shift and I shifted with that, which was so beautiful because when I started on the internet, it was like heroin chic, like, you know, and, mm. and it did not help me. And I also was a model at the time. I had to make the decision, like, if I ever want to... If I want to start healing myself, like, I can't be... I could now... Well, I actually ended up back into it when, like, I felt like the industry changed with the culture. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it was like... I was like, nah, um, I can't be a part... I can't do this. No money is worth, like, my health. Yeah. Yeah, just trick that algorithm, baby. <laughs> you were the cast as the first non-binary character in Neighbours back Correct. in 2020. It was last year, 2022. Yeah. Oh my God, it wasn't that long ago. I know. <laughs> Neighbours is back. Uh, Neighbours is and back. And they need to bring Asha back, so... <laughs> I'm waiting by the phone. Thank you, neighbours. Yeah, yeah. Asha did not get a fully fleshed storyline. They need justice. <laughs> right? I was like, okay, um, bring them back. This please. is me manifesting. <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to ask you, when that happened, like, how did that feel? Um, it all happened so quickly as well. It was, like, so random. And, like, yeah, it felt, I mean, it felt a few things. Like, obviously, it's, like, I felt joyful to be able to, like, bring that. Neighbours, I think this is a universal thing, um, is like a big 
one of the biggest soaps. Um, in Australia, it's the biggest we have, but in the world too, it's like very... It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Very popular. Very, she's very popular, the old <laughs> Neighbours. I was a Neighbours kid, didn't watch Home and Away, sorry. But uh, did you watch... Did you I was, watch? no, I was just, I was Simpson. Simpson. I wasn't like... Her parents were cool. Mm, I don't yeah, know. they were intellectual. <laughs> um, I was a Neighbours kid, loved Neighbours. Um, anyways, and so it was like, yeah, it was like a part of me that was like, oh, like I feel very honoured to be able to like bring this sort of representation to this show and this audience. But there was another part of me that was like a little bit, I guess, like worried because obviously being NB looks so many different ways, means, doesn't mean so many different things, but like, I mean, it's like any gender. There's so many mm. expressions of like what it means to be a girl and be a boy, like be NB, be, you know. Um, and I also know that I have a lot of privilege in the body that I move in. I'm a very palatable version of what it means to be genderqueer. Um, and I just wanted to like make sure that I wasn't doing like, not a disservice, that's a completely wrong word, but like I don't know, I just wanted to like acknowledge my privilege in the body that I move in and also just make it known that I can't be the spokesperson for the whole of my community and for the whole of, you know, people that are like genderqueer and MB, like that's not my ministry and it's not mm. about to be. And I can only talk about it from my experience of gender fluidity and genderqueerness and that's what I'm going to bring to that role. But like people need to know that that is not the only version of what it means to be queer or non-binary and also it is a very palatable version of what it means and yeah so it was like a very beautiful joyful experience and like overall like incredibly uh positive and really I guess kind of healing for me as someone who like watched Neighbours as like a closeted queer kid and then to be a queer character on that show as an adult was like very like almost disorientating in the best way. Um, So speaking about um representation on our screens of minorities, really. How do you think in the Australian kind of landscape, like it's getting a bit better with like Heartbreak High and things like that. How do you think that we can increase representation of minorities like on Australian screen and then, well, I guess everywhere? Two things. Um, To keep it simple, you increase it by increasing it. Hiring people of colour, um, hiring gender diverse people, queer people, telling those stories in a positive light as well, not having them as a side character. Mm. And secondly, I think it's really important in this conversation when we talk about representation anywhere, but if we're going to be specific to film, we are not only talking about the people on screen, we're talking about the people off screen. And that doesn't get spoken about a lot. The amount of times I've been on set and it's like you have this amazing diverse cast and then you look behind the cameras, everyone is white, majority people are men, um, cis, need I say no more. And that (laughs) when we talk about representation, it's on and off screen because also if you're going to put um, diversity in your cast you need to make sure those people feel safe and you don't need to make sure you're telling those stories properly. You're not going to tell for example a queer story or a trans story and not have a consultant if not a trans writer on Mm. that show and that happens all the time more often than not. That also needs to be spoken about too Mm. because you know if not, you're just virtual signaling, mm-hmm. really, and you're ticking a box. And look, I speak from queerness, like in terms of moving to where I want us to go, like I'd rather you tick a box than not, but also that's not that's not the end. That's not the end of it. Yeah. It's 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 the beginning. And also if I was to create a positive spin on it, because a lot of people, you know, they see it as like this like thing that they need to mm. to do. You've got big execs being like, oh like how it's like 
Well, actually, it's like beneficial to everyone because the stories are better. So if you look at like a show that is about like, I don't know, they're telling a trans story. If you hire a trans actor and you have a trans writer or consultant and the same, uh, like even just a queer person in wardrobe or even just have a consultant that kind of oversees it, you're going to tell a better story. Like it's going to be better. It just is because it's that person's story and that person's heart. It would just be better. Like the work Mm. will be better. So you fell into this role of being an influencer amongst mm. many other things you do now. You're a creative, you're an actor, you're an artist, DJ as well. Yeah, <laughs> random. <laughs> I know, but I love it. I get um, bored. <laughs> but how do you feel now in the influencer culture? Do you see yourself staying in that career or, you know, what's next for you? Where do you really want to grow next? I think there's a lot of things that I do outside of the internet that people some people do, I talk about it, but don't, but like, I'm obviously an actor and like a writer. So I always say to people, when people ask me like, what do I do? I'm like, you know, I can say like, I'm an actor, I'm a writer, I'm an influencer, like whatever. Um, and, but in terms of like where I want to go, it's like my body, I've always felt like is like my vessel. I like to communicate through voice. I was a dancer. So movement, acting is kind of all those things. And storytelling is kind of what drives that vessel, so I think where I'm going is kind of similar to the things I do now, but just like expanding mm. out and um, hopefully reaching more people and creating work that like I'm really proud of. I just want to be doing what I'm doing and doing it better, and doing more of it and um, hopefully reaching more people because, yeah, I just think like I've always, yeah, been driven by storytelling and that is because I just think like humans are... I don't know, really kind and empathetic at heart and deeply flawed. And I think we lose that in a world that can be quite painful and hurtful and overwhelming. And if we can just make more people feel seen in their experience, I think we would all lead with a little bit more heart and therefore the world would be Mm. a better place because Mm. humans just want to belong and feel like people are experiencing what they are and that they're like, they're, they're okay, you know? Yeah. And we don't foster that in in society. No. Yeah. Well, Kath Ebbs, thank you so much for joining me on the weekend briefing. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Kath, but now it's time for the weekend list. Antoinette Latouf, what do you have for us? Okay. I know that at this time of the year, a lot of people are crawling to the finish line and I know I am. And one of the ways I know I am is because I just can't be bothered cooking. Like I'm just, I'm done. Yeah. I, I Food just becomes a chore. I know I have it. I need it to sustain myself. And so I went to my mum's house yesterday and just like all you know, brilliant food obsessed Lebanese mums. She's like, and I made a tray of this and take this. And, oh, you look a bit tired. You need to eat more. Here, have some fresh cucumbers from the garden. So I ended up leaving with all of this food. Then as I walk into the car, her wonderful Greek neighbour, Helen, sees me. She's like, oh, I just baked this, take this. Anyway, so my food hack for not wanting to cook or struggling to come up with food ideas is to get an ethnic mum to adopt you. If you don't have one already, move next door to one because I swear... It's a solution to all of my problems whenever I I can't cook or I'm just done with food.
I love this one. I actually used to be a children's birthday party host and I used to do it on location, like dressing up as princesses and stuff. And I loved it when I'd have Lebanese families because they would do the same thing. I would get so much delicious food and they would just stock me up. And honestly, I love that. Now I'm hungry, but that sounds that sounds great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My um, first recommendation is also food because I am kind of in the same boat. Cooking at the moment is... I just need it and it's a bit of a task, but I'm looking for easy hack meals. And I cooked Mm. this the other night and it's super easy. It's a bit basic, boring, but it does the job. It's just a Mm -hmm. red pesto gnocchi with tuna and then spinach. And then you can add whatever you want. But yeah, it, it honestly, it was so great. And you can bake it if you want. So you can like, I just cooked it in the pot and then added everything in. But if you want, then you can just pop it in a bake tray and put cheese over the top and bake it. And it feels gourmet, but it's really not. Oh, I love it. Basic but gourmet. You know, the only thing I could think of is I would add pine nuts to something like oh, that. Be a bit yummy. Yeah. No, I like that. I'll definitely do that next time. What else do you have? So I just finished reading Everyone and Everything by Nadine J. Cohen, and it's a a literary fiction debut by um, Nadine, who's um, Australian and fabulous. What I love about it is it's about her journey with grief. She's lost her mother to illness, and she's kind of grappling with her identity because she's always had this strange relationship with her Jewish faith. Anyway, she finds this unlikely friendship um, and therapy through water, not only is it beautifully written and wry and dry and takes you on this journey, what I think is really important, particularly with what's going on in the world where there is so much grief from that region, um, from the Middle East, and there is so much division and there is a rise in anti-Semitism and a rise in Islamophobia. And I'm trying to find ways to make sure that I turn to Jewish and Arab and Muslim writers and artists because it is so easy to be driven um, into into hate or division. And I just refuse to blame people for their governments um, or to, to, to be divided. And I just think that art and literature has such an important role in not only informing and entertaining, but really humanising and reminding you that people are not their governments. And um, it's important that we stay united. I know that was a bit of a soapbox rant, but that's, that's why I'm deliberately choosing these sorts of books and um, these sorts of artists. No, I really love that. And I think that is something that we can all kind of do on on our own level is really just be aware and make personal choices like that and remind ourselves that, yeah, that's completely true. I really love that. My second recommendation is also a book. It's, it's a, I'm a bit late on the train with this one, but I think it's good going into the new year if you've maybe you've read it before. It's Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I've started listening to the audiobook. I'm nearly finished. And I just think this book is giving me so many tips and tricks that, you know, we know that habits are good. They make your life better. But I think when you hear it said in certain ways that you haven't heard them before, it just makes it click. And I think some of the key takeaways I got was by increasing your day, like making doing something that makes you 1% better every day, by the end of the year, you're 37% better. And just by doing a tiny little change, you can make such a big difference Mm. over the space of a year or even six months. And another really, really good thing that I picked out of it was habit stacking. Like 
if you have habits that you already do, but you want to improve on, I don't know, my thing was when I brush my teeth, I'm always going to brush my teeth right, but I want to strengthen my ankles so I can do rises, like rises on my tiptoes while I'm brushing my teeth. Like it's pretty, like adding little habit stacking, like adding baby habits to habits you already do because you're already, you know, internally, you're already thinking about these other habits that you do, but adding something else, you're just bettering it in that in that way that it doesn't seem like a task because you're already doing something. There has to be something super powerful that resonates with this book because it is at every mm. airport and every bookstore at the front. And I do love that incremental change because so many people are like, I'm going to look like a Victoria's Secrets model in mm. six weeks or, or whatever it is. And we make these big goals, which are never going to happen. And I look forward to watching your calf muscles strengthen <laughs> and grow. <and> Pop out. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. Thank you so much, Antoinette Latouf. And thank you everyone for tuning in. It's always a pleasure. Now, if you want more of the weekend briefing, you can find us on the listener app and you can download the listener app in the app store and follow us there. Otherwise, you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And hey, why not give us a cheeky rating or review for this fabulous interview with Kath? And FYI, you can rate and review every episode, not just the podcast. So we'll be back bright and early on Monday morning where the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones along with some very interesting interviews. Stay safe, everyone. Listener.